Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where after hearing what you said to them, they responded with a question, can I speak freely? You ever heard that? And when you heard that question, how did you feel about your options, really? I mean, if you said no, you know that that wouldn't look good for you. After all, you're supposed to be in a relationship with that person. And after all, the First Amendment of our Constitution does guarantee every U.S. citizen the right of free speech, right? So what, what options did you really have? And so even as you said yes, though, how did you feel in that moment? Because after all, not many people ever asked that question and then followed up by saying, you are the most wonderful person I have ever met. I wish God, you know, would make more people just like you to fill this planet. No, no, no. The words you heard next were nothing like that. It's like the time someone asked a similar question of Winston Churchill, who then told him, Sir, if you were my husband, I would poison your drink. To which Churchill responded, If you were my wife, I would drink it. (laughs) Words. As we learned last weekend, the tongue has the power of life and death. And not just for a moment, our words have lasting impact. In fact, we learned last weekend that Jesus likened the human heart to a tree and the words of the mouth to the fruit a tree produces. He directly told the religious leaders of that day, he said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. So our words are like fruit. They display what kind of seed is truly given root to the tree of our lives. So the tongue has the power of life and death. So either then you are like a tree that bears life with your words, or you are like a tree that bears death with your words. There's no middle ground where after speaking something you probably shouldn't have said, you respond by saying, I'm just saying. No, no. In response to that statement, one person once said, there are two types of people in this world, those who are born again and those who are born against. And you might be smiling because, you know what, you might be married to one of those people. Uh, You might work for one of those people. You might live next door to one of those people, and maybe you are one of those people. You see, knowing who you are in the mix is important because Jesus told us that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So in light of Christ's statement there, do we really as Christians then have free speech? Do we? One Christian wrote, every Christian carries a dual citizenship. In addition to our native country, We're also citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And as the laws of this kingdom are concerned, there's no such thing as free speech. Words matter. They carry spiritual weight. 
And that's why Jesus said, we're gonna be judged for every careless word that we have spoken. It's also why the psalmist wrote this beautiful short prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Will you say that prayer with me? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We're gonna talk more next weekend about how to do that. But this weekend, we're gonna grapple with the various kinds of fruit that are produced from the tree of death. Friends, we all have these tendencies in our lives, so it's important to identify what our tendencies are and then bring those before God. After all, we know that old saying to be quite untrue. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No, no, no. Jesus made it clear our words do hurt. They hurt others and they hurt ourselves. Our words are like fruit, he says, and it's like fruit, then we take off that tree and then we hurl like stones at another with the intention of harming them in some way. That's why today you were given a stone when you came in, right? I hope you have one, and if you don't, you can get one there in the back. This stone represents the words that you speak. I want you to think about it that way. Now, you may have noticed when you picked up that stone and carry it to your seat, when you placed it down, there was like a residue that was left on your hands. And that's there for a reason. Because friends, uh, this is the case whenever we speak. There's a residue that not only marks the other person, it also marks us. And so for the sake of clarity, let's call these words exactly what they are according to Jesus. Death fruit. Death fruit. So that's right, stones and death fruit. Well, they may not seem to go together. They're actually two metaphors that address the same problem, our hurtful words. And so as I address what I would call 10 different kinds of death fruit, and there are more, but we're gonna focus on 10 today, I want you to identify what kinds of words you have used with others or what kind of words you're likely to use in the future and at the end of my message, I'm gonna ask you to come down front. We have buckets down here, we have pens. I'm gonna ask you to write on your stone, which represents your words, what words you actually speak most often. And then we're gonna just one by one, collectively just repent before God and then hurl that in the buckets up front. We're gonna do business with God here today. We're not just gonna talk about our talk. <laughs> we're gonna do something with the words that we say. So let's start with death fruit number one, words that lie. Words that lie. Now a recent study by US, UW Lacrosse revealed that while there are prolific liars in society, 75% of people lie only one or two times a day. Only one or two times, it doesn't seem so bad. But before we rejoice with our one or two times a day, let's read Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So we quickly see there are seven things that the Lord detests, but three are related directly to our mouth, and two of them are directly related to our lying. So why is lying such a problem for God? Well, because God is truth, and we as his sons and daughters, we wear his name. And so when we lie, we act like we belong to somebody else's family, 
not his. This includes lying in various forms. Words of commission, when we actively lie to someone else. Words of omission, letting someone believe something you know isn't true, most likely because it benefits you if they keep believing it. And then half-truths. Many times we give ourselves credit. Well, there's some truth in it, but here's the thing. Satan has been speaking in half-truths for thousands of years. So we shouldn't celebrate too quickly. The Bible tells us lying lips are an abomination, detestable to the Lord. But those who deal truthfully are his delight. So let me ask you, are you truly serving as God's delight with the words that you speak? As we all consider this together, may we say that prayer together once again. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Leads to death fruit number two, words that divide. Words that divide. Now someone who uses this kind of speech, the Bible says, sows discord among the brethren. So words that divide come in different shapes and sizes. They are subtle words sometimes spoken about another. Do you really like them? Do you really believe them? Or direct words spoken about another. If you trust them, you're out of your mind. See, God lives in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this means that we're designed to live in community as well. And so when someone tries to cause division within the Christian community, God is not their fan. And we should not be fans either. In fact, the Apostle Paul gave Titus this advice regarding divisive talkers in the church he was leading. He said, warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Strong words. The truth is that we use divisive talk more than we think, and sometimes more than we care to admit. We sometimes try to cause division at work between coworkers. We sometimes try to cause division in our neighborhoods between you know, those neighbors who take care of their homes and those neighbors who don't. And as we've seen over the past couple years, Christians have caused division with churches all across our country between those who wear a mask and those who say they will never wear a mask because they have faith. Oh, friends, I could go on and on. In order to be peacemakers rather than troublemakers, we please say this prayer with me, friends? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It leads to death fruit number three. Words that dish. Gossip, that is. Think about it this way. Gossip is much like eating pork, onions, and beans in one sitting. It isn't much good for you or for anyone else. <laughs> Friends, the fermentation isn't fun. It's not. Gossip is spreading intimate or private rumors or facts about one person to another. So if the person that you're talking to isn't part of the situation or part of the solution to the problem, they shouldn't be brought into this matter for any reason. So be honest with yourself. Do your ears perk up when someone comes to you and says, have you heard about so-and-so? Well, then you're just as prone to listen to gossip as you are to dish it out. And what are the results of dishing? Well, Proverbs 20 says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man or a woman who talks too much. So gossip betrays a confidence, but that's not all. Proverbs 16 tells us, gossip separates the best of friends. So given these 
painful results. Why do we gossip? Well, because it gives us a sense of validation. It makes us feel important for just a moment in the eyes of someone else that we're trying to impress. And if we're lucky, they might even pass on what we told them to someone else. But friends, if what you think you know about one person is passed on to another, you have not been a good sister or a brother. You have, however, been a disease. It's like knowing, knowingly having COVID and then giving it to someone else. And since we've all participated in some form of gossip at some point in our lives, let us humbly say this prayer together. Say it. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. It leads to death fruit number four. Words that slander. Words that slander. Now slander is passing on false information about one person to another. So this is false information. And one person summed up the complexity of slander by saying it this way. There's only one thing as difficult as unscrambling an egg, and that's unspreading a rumor. You see, once this comes out of our mouth, you can never take it back. And that's why the sin of slander was so repulsive to the apostle Paul that he gave church members in Corinth this instruction. He says, but now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is an idolater or a slanderer. With such a man, do not even eat. In contrast, we're to live in life-giving ways, the ways that Peter described. He said, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere and love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And there's a lot of different ways we can love each other deeply from the heart, but I think chief among them would be to think what is best about another person, to want what is best for that other person. And this is why he warned against doing the opposite. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. You see, those who have truly tasted that the Lord is good will spread only good about another person whom God has created. And yet because we're all prone to seek a sense of importance in the eyes of another, friends, let's say this prayer together. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. This leads to death fruit number five. Words that double deal. Words that double deal. Friends, the family of God should be the safest place on the earth to share our concerns, our struggles, our sicknesses, and even our sins. It's why the brother of Christ said to confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So notice here that our words are effective when they're focused only in one direction. When after hearing what another person shares with us, we join with them and bring their concerns only to God. He is the only one who hears us because he's the only one we have spoken to about what we've heard. The Bible says this is very effective talk. And yet what I've noticed through the years in my own life and sometimes in the lives of others is that many Christians know this internally and yet still have others they feel compelled with to share. 
So rather than ask the person to share with them if they can share with someone else, they merely share with someone else. Because there are others on their self-approved list. A close friend, a member of their small group, or sometimes anyone else who might find them more important by hearing what they say. The Bible clearly tells us not to do that. It says the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Now think about integrity this way. The required humility needed to produce honesty, which ensures loyalty. Let me say that again. The required humility needed to produce honesty, which ensures loyalty. Duplicity in Hebrew is crooked dealing. What does that mean? Well, rather than walk the straight line of integrity, a duplicitous person shares what they've heard with someone on their left, and then a little bit later with someone on their right, and then someone on their left, and someone on their right. They veer off course all the time, which takes more time, results in more sin, and only serves to damage the one who shared confidentially with them. But this is sometimes the excuse that's given. Phil, the more people who know, the more people can pray. Yet if that person who shared with you hasn't given you their permission to share with another, it's not more prayers you're looking for, but more attention for yourself. You see, a duplicitous person rarely recognizes their true motivation. And think about this. Have you ever wondered Really wondered for a moment how many people have not been healed emotionally, have not been healed spiritually, have not been healed physically because they feared that by sharing with one Christian, many others would know what's going on. For their sake and for our sake, friends, may we say this prayer together. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. This leads to death fruit number six. I'll tell you what, this is a type of speech which has grown in popularity amongst Christians over the past decade or so. Words that cursed. Words that curse. Now, around a decade or so ago, when a Christian was admitting to having a cursing problem, they most often referred to words that began with D, S, and A. We know what those words are. But now another letter has been proudly added to the list that's often spoken more than all the D, S, and A words combined. Words that begin with F. And here's the thing, even some pastors have become popular for using such words in their sermons on Sunday mornings. They say that because you know what, they can, it just helps them to kind of relate with people. So cursing has become normalized not only by those outside the church, but sometimes by leaders inside the church walls. But here's the thing, it might surprise you to know that when cursing is mentioned in the Bible, it refers to such words not as the cause of a problem, but as a symptom of other problems going on in that person's life. Take a look at Romans 3. Their throat is an open tomb. Why a tomb? Because such words are words of death. And what kinds of words? Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. So such a person not only deceives others, they deceive themselves as to why they use such words in the first place. And perhaps this is because they don't see what lies beneath those words. Take a look. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. In other words, their words are laced with venom. 
what are the results or symptoms of these realities? Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and what? Bitterness. The Bible says, show me a cursing person, I'll show you a bitter person. A person who's bitter due to their lack of forgiveness towards others or due to some situation that they found troubling in the past. And so they bring the pain of their past into their present spoken words by deceiving themselves into thinking that what they're saying is completely acceptable. This is what an open-tombed mouth does. Due to the sin of bitterness they have harbored in their heart. Now, cursing can also include a curse one person has spoken over another because of their bitterness. Words like, go to, you know, or I hope that blank comes your way. It's an act of claiming God's throne and making that other person your subject. But the truth is, we're not made for throne sitting. We're made for sitting at the feet of God. And when we try to claim such a power position, the Bible says our cursing becomes like a boomerang. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 109, he loved to pronounce the curse. May it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. We're made by God to speak blessings, not curses. So think about it this way. Cursing is like a fountain. Since the words you spew out of your mouth really go up and then spill mostly over you, your curses really don't do that much to the one you're cursing. But it does come back on you like a boomerang. Friends, if you have the tendency to curse, I I would ask you to please just start by confessing to God your bitterness with other people your bitterness about certain situations so that God can begin to turn your bitterness into blessings. But for all of us, friends, may we say this prayer together, all of us. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Now, quite often when people curse, not too much time has passed before they kind of stumble into death fruit number seven. Words that take the Lord's name in vain. Words that take the Lord's name in vain. Now, we kind of know what that's talking about, but what does that refer to? It's referring, really, to speaking in a self-serving way. Friends, it places us at the center when you really think about it. Because when we attach God's name or Jesus' name to such speech, a person not only offends the creator of the universe, but they also claim a power position higher than his. That's why in the Ten Commandments it says, you shall not take the name of your Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It's a serious thing. And one of the most obvious ways people do this is either to attach God or Jesus to a swear word or whatever, or sometimes just to use his name solo. Another way, more subtle way, and I've talked about this before, is when Christians say, oh, God told me. Friends, most often when someone uses this phrase, it's with the sole intention of improving their situation by claiming that God is supportive of their self-serving pursuits. So they're basically acting, and then God is supposed to bless it. I've spoken about this before. We don't need to go into more detail. But for all of us, please, let's say this prayer together. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. This leads us to death fruit number eight. 
Words that smell. That smell. The Bible refers to this kind of speech by saying, but now you must also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. People today refer to that as kind of sewer talk. We've been referring to that way for a a few decades now. We refer to those words that way because those words smell. And such talk we, we find today in our jokes, many of the jokes that people tell. In fact, in our society today, it's almost impossible in the minds of people to be funny unless they include a bunch of, you know, those kinds of words in their language. It also includes times when people talk about their sexual conquests that are far removed from a loving act in marriage. Friends, rather the Bible tells us, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, salt words are healing words that serve to restore a situation, not make situations worse. And yet, since many of us have been tempted to speak otherwise, again, please say this prayer with me. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Well, this kind of speech is often linked with death fruit number nine. Words that argue. Words that argue. The Bible refers to such speech as contentious. Do you know someone like this? Someone who often wants to make an argument out of almost anything. It doesn't matter what it is. They just seem to argue over it. If you know someone like that, perhaps you can relate to Proverbs 26. It says, as a charcoal is to burning coals and a wood to a fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. See, some people really love this kind of kindling wood. Because these kinds of kindling words, they're tantalizing to them. Why? Because they stoke a fire. And that helps them to get noticed. It demands everyone's full attention. And then when they have it, they don't stop. It's why the person always has to be right. Always has to have the final say. Always responds with, I told you so. Always seeks to contradict. Bottom line, these people are a joy to be around, right? If this is you. Have you ever considered how your words really hurt others? Rather than seek to be right, will you say this prayer along with everyone else? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Well, even though the room's a bit darkened now, I can still kind of sense your body language, and I can, I can see what you're telling me. Phil, like, why do we have to stop at 10? Right? I mean, there's so many more. I mean, do we have time to kind of dive more deeply into this matter, right? But here's the 10th one, our final one for today. It's called words that steal. Words that steal. And I think you know what I'm talking about. For example, you're all excited about something. And you can't wait until tomorrow because something you've been hoping for and praying for might actually come to pass. And then with all of your excitement, that wonderful person in your life looks at you and says, oh, that'll never happen. Don't get your hopes up. It's not gonna work out anything like what you thought. Such a person steals hope and belief from the heart of another. The Bible tells us, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
You see, when we were kids, Eeyore might have been a really kind of funny character to watch on Winnie the Pooh. But such a person only serves to rob joy of others in their daily lives. They not only rob joy of others, they also rob joy from their own lives as well. You probably witnessed this. I mean, even with people they know standing right around them, listening, they'll say, well, I can't do that because I don't have anyone to help me. No one seems to like me. No one wants to be my friend. That's why the author of Hebrews states that in contrast, encourage the people around you. Daily, he's saying. That includes yourself. Encourage everyone. Make it your routine. Because if you don't, you'll deceive yourself into thinking that your negative words are words that everyone just plain needs to hear. But here's the truth. No person daily prays, Lord, Send an Eeyore into my life, right? Lord, send me someone who will rob my joy and push me into the pit of depression. Lord, if you're good, you'll send me someone like that. If this is you, these might be harsh words to you, but stop acting like you're the answer to everyone's prayers and start speaking words of encouragement. Words like, I pray that things turn out exactly like you hoped. I'm sure tomorrow will be even better than you've imagined. See, the Bible tells us, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Did you ever notice that if you've seen this verse? We're not just building others up in a general way. We're taking the time to actually care for the person in front of us to know how do they need to receive encouragement. And then speak in that way so it benefits them. But also the Bible says it benefits all those who are listening. Now some people hear that and they think, oh, Phil, you know what? I I do pretty well with the words I speak. But boy, do I let people have it with my texts and tweets. Friends, speak life, not death. Post life, not death. Tweet life, not death. In light of what Jesus said, I want to ask you, have you identified your words, your tendencies with how you speak? Are you willing to do something now about it? I invite you to stand with me right now. And before we take action, I just want us to repeat this short little prayer once again. And so will you stand with me? And let's say this prayer together. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And that brings us to that stone. I'm going to ask you to do what I'm going to do right now, right in front of you. I've asked you before I began to kind of identify what those words are for you. And so with those who are helping, if you can come down as well. And you're going to come down, you're going to see these pens that are here. I want you to take the time to write what your most likely tendency is and then just between your heart and God say Lord forgive me forgive me and then cast that stone into the bucket leave those words behind and step forward back into your seat knowing you're going to speak words of life. This is our time to do business with God. We all struggle with the words that we speak. Friends, 
There's no order here. I encourage you to come up front when you feel led and then go back to your seat so we can kind of end this whole time together. Please come as you are ready. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.